You may have seen this week the news of a report from the Children's Society which found that more than a third of girls aged 10 to 15 are unhappy with their appearance. That's a sharp rise on the figure from five years ago. An important factor in that rise is understood to be the growth in social media where pictures are posted of a perfect body in a perfect setting, all of which creates pressure on young girls to conform to a certain stereotype of beauty. Now, experts have commented in, ref- on re- in response that what is needed is to help girls know the facts about the photos and the people in them, the amount of airbrushing that's gone on. The pictures may seem casual and artless, whereas they are often posed and heavily edited. If you like, they're more fake than fact. Of course, pictures don't have to be like that. Wandering around a few art galleries as we journeyed around Europe by train last month, I was struck how the best art does not simply show something on the surface, but hints at what is going on below the skin. I remember some of the pictures by Rembrandt that we saw, where that great artist shows not simply what people look like, but the complex feelings that are going on in their hearts. I think of this picture, the Jewish bride, wherein the eyes and the hands you see so much of the tenderness between the couple, but in their sort of gaze towards the middle distance, perhaps some of their anxiety, perhaps for an unborn child or for an uncertain future. The best pictures, it seems to me, help us go below the surface and realise there's more going on than we think. And I mention this about pictures because it seems to me that the psalm before us today is a picture of sorts too. If we've tracked the psalms that we've been doing over the summer, we'll have seen perhaps that psalms are best understood not as textbooks of faith, telling us things we need to know about God, but rather as pictures of faith. Snapshots, if you like, of what it is to live a life with God. And the wonderful thing about the psalms as pictures of faith is that they are not airbrushed pictures of faith destined to make us feel inadequate about our own journey with the Lord. Rather, they are pictures of a real faith, with questions and doubts as well as confidence and faith. If you're here this morning exploring or seeking Christian faith, and you want to know what faith feels like from the inside, you could do far worse than simply read the Psalms one a day. If you're here this morning and you want to go deeper in your faith or you simply want to keep going in the faith that you have, you'll find real encouragement in these snapshots of faith. And Psalm 25 is a wonderful place to end our summer series on the Psalms because in addition to being a very beautiful poem, I cobbled together enough Hebrew over my sabbatical to confirm that it is an acrostic psalm. That is to say each verse starts with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Its real value lies in the way that it shows the real faith of David the writer. Faith that I think has two main aspects to it. Faith as dependence and faith as remembrance. Faith as dependence and faith as remembrance. And we'll explore each of those in turn and think how they can speak to our lives today. So please, if you haven't got your Bibles open, please turn with me to page 556 
in our Bibles together. It's, it's Psalm 25. There's a little bit of a sort of batting order, I think, on a blue piece of paper like this that shows you where we're going so that you can kind of follow along. First of all, faith as dependence. Secondly, faith as remembrance. Page 556, Psalm 25. So first of all, faith as dependence. And I think it's because verse 1 is the banner headline for the psalm. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Immediately, the focus is not on the writer David, but elsewhere. To you. That's the first word. To you. He is immediately shifting focus away from himself and onto God. Now, that phrase, I lift up my soul, that could strike us as a little bit more airy than it actually is in the original. The word soul can mean breath, but it also can mean life. David, if you like, he's not just lifting up his soul, he's he's lifting up his life into God's hands. This is the very opposite of self-reliance. This is David lifting up his very life to God and saying, it's in your hands. Now, that's a very striking thing for David to do. Because while we can't be sure exactly when David wrote these words, we do know that really from an early age he demonstrated remarkable characteristics as a man. From bravery, through wisdom and tact. It it would have been hugely tempting for David to place his confidence in himself. And yet he starts, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. His attention is elsewhere and not on himself. And this is not just a kind of neat or bland truism or statement of faith which doesn't connect with David's life. For David goes on in this psalm to make requests of God that make clear he's depending on God for three different things. First of all, he's depending on God for guidance. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. And just as I read it, see how many times the word you or yours appears. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my saviour and my hope is in you all day long. David is not about doing what he wants or what he thinks is right. He wants to learn God's ways and follow his truth. It strikes me, by the way, this is not a kind of one-off request for guidance, as if David has got a kind of tricky choice in front of him and wants to know which way to plump, you know, which commander should I appoint or which field should I buy. No, no, this is an ongoing request from David to God to show him his way that David will walk in the middle of it. A request for guidance. The second thing David depends on God for is for forgiveness, Look with me at a few verses just scattered through this psalm again and again. Verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Verse 11. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Verse 18. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. It's almost as if, in turning to God and kind of lifting his life to him, David is all too aware of the times when he has not depended on God and when he has not followed in his ways. Yes, some of those sins are in David's past in his youth, but some of them are in the present too. And David knows those sins need to be forgiven by God. They can't be dealt with elsewhere. He can't resolve them himself. He can't make them go away. He must come to the Lord for forgiveness 
and he depends on the Lord for it. Guidance, forgiveness. The third thing that David depends on God for is his preservation. It's probably not the best word there, but I couldn't come up with a better one. I'm trying to sum up those words in verses 20 and 21, where David says, Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. And yes, it's about God rescuing David from this trouble he's in, and David asks for that more than once in the Psalms, but it's a bigger idea than that. The word translated guard in verse 20, has the idea of God holding David, God keeping him, God protecting him. David is almost saying to God, hold me. Hold me now and in all that lies ahead. Keep me with you. Just keep me. Hold me. David knows that the life of faith is not an easy walk. But he asked God, keep me safe. Keep me with you. That's the nature of David's dependence on God. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I'm in your hands. Now please guide me, forgive me, and keep me. All of which, of course, opens up the obvious question for you and for me. Is my faith of similar dependence on God? Can I say with David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul? Do I depend on him for guidance, for forgiveness, for preservation? Is that what my prayers look like? As many of you will know, I spent the first part of my sabbatical in Israel and the West Bank, walking, first of all, and then volunteering at a hospital in Bethlehem. It was wonderful and humbling in so many ways. But it was also deeply interesting for me because I wasn't in charge and frequently I wasn't sure what was happening, either because of an an unfamiliar context which I didn't understand or because things there don't work in quite the clockwork way they often do here. And I'll be honest that I found my prayers coming rather closer to David's words in Psalm 25 than they often do here. Lord, I'm in your hands Guide me. Forgive me when I take a wrong step. Hold me and keep me with you. I found I trusted less in myself and more in God. There's one example that comes particularly to mind. It was the night I arrived in Israel with my two friends, Matt and Rob, to go walking on the West Bank. Matt and I got through passport control fine, but Rob was behind us in the queue and didn't follow us through. We couldn't see what was happening as the minutes passed, but we figured there was a problem. Eventually, after 20 minutes, we got a text from Rob saying that he'd been taken into a holding area as he was going to be asked further questions about his itinerary. He said there were lots of people crowded in there, there was no sign of any staff, and he said that we should follow on to Jerusalem without him, and he'd come later. Now, Matt and I were pretty crestfallen, as it was already late and the hostel we were going to was about to shut. Anyway, so we gathered up Rob's bag from the carousel and uh, we went to the other side of what was now a deserted arrival hall and sat down and we just knelt uh, and prayed. It wasn't an amazing prayer. It was basically a to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul prayer. Lord, we're in your hands. Please keep us. It just felt the right and the faithful thing to do. 
Now, what happened next was that within a minute, Rob came through the doors because, as he told us later, his name had been called out and he was allowed to go. And it was an amazing moment as we felt kind of God say, you can trust me for this, you know. Now, I could give you a list of the prayers that I have prayed that have yet to be answered in the way I wish. But what I did learn is that there is no better thing to do than to say to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. There is no more faithful response when we know we are not in control. I guess certain things have become clearer to me over the sabbatical. And one of them is this. The life of faith is basically putting my hand into God's and saying, I can't do this on my own. Now, I wonder what picture of faith as dependence means to you. Those words from David, I wonder how they speak to you. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Show me your ways that I may walk in them. Forgive my sins, for I cannot sort them on my own. Keep me and hold me close to you. Faith as dependence. But there's something else going on in this psalm that's than simply an expression of David's faith as dependence, and I call it faith as remembrance. And I really saw it when Linda was taking us through the psalm in our staff Bible study last week, because what she got us to do was to go through this psalm and highlight three types of phrases that David uses. First of all, she got us looking for his statements of faith, where he says what he believes. That's kind of like verse one, the headline that we looked at earlier. Next, she got us to look for his requests where he asks for things. That's what we've just been looking at in terms of guidance and forgiveness and and preservation. But the third area she got us looking at were statements where David makes about his God's character and actions. And as we looked, we saw that through this psalm are words that reflect what David knows about God and his ways. And they're there in verses 3, 8 and 9 and 14. Uh, And what became clear, you see, was that this is not a kind of shopping list psalm in which kind of just David lists all the things he wants. Rather, dotted amongst David's requests for guidance, forgiveness and preservation are times when he explicitly calls to the very front of his mind who God is and what his promises are. Look with me, for example, at verses 8 to 10, where David calls to mind God's character. Verses 8 to 10. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the commands of his covenant. That word loving is the same word as the word used in verse 6 for love. It's the great Hebrew word hesed, which is sometimes translated steadfast love, or the old translations, everlasting love. It's that great covenant love of God that does not give up and does not run out. It is the love that David had come to see in Israel's past and know in his own life. He calls to mind that love and says, I remember it. Secondly, he calls to mind God's promises. Look with me at verse 3. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. David knew the great promises made to Moses and Joshua that God would never forsake his people. I will be with you wherever we go was the refrain of so much Old Testament history. 
And David knew the promises God had made to him personally that he would one day inherit the land. So David intentionally kind of brings to the very front of his mind who God is and what his promises are. And in fact, I think it's that kind of calling to mind who God is that fires his faith and his prayer and his dependence on God. It's in remembering who God is and what he's promised that helps David place his confidence in him. You see, this is the key thing. David is not lifting up his soul to a God he doesn't know. To a kind of God kind of somewhere out there who he's only kind of heard rumours of. He's depending on a God he knows for himself. A God whose love is not is just a word, but a lived experience. A God whose promises are not vague aspirations, but certain truths. And so he calls to mind this God to feed his faith and his prayer and his dependence. And here's the good news. If David could depend on a God he really knew... We can do the same. In fact, we have even more evidence to depend on God than David had when he wrote this psalm. For if hesed is the great Old Testament word for God's love, the word in the New Testament is the one translated as grace. God's grace, unconditional, generous love poured out in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness to sinners such as you and me, unmerited, undeserved, but freely given. That is God's lasting, unchanging, permanent character that we can rely on. And as for his promises, the New Testament is full of God's promises towards those who lift his life to him. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He's promised to dwell within us by his Holy Spirit. He's promised to equip us when we are called to do something for him. He has promised that nothing will separate us from his love in Jesus Christ. He has promised that death itself will not be the end but the gate to a new creation. He's promised a place where every tear is wiped from every eye. That's why we can say with David, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. If we remember the character and promises of God, not just as a kind of vague thought, but really bring them to the front of our mind, we can say this psalm with even greater confidence than David. Now, I know the temptation not to do that. I know the temptation to say, yeah, I remember learning about God back then. It's kind of back there in the sort of depths of my memory. But to jog along, just kind of assuming the character and the promises of God. But my prayers are poorer for it actually calling to the front of our mind the character and the promises of God is as important for us as it was for David. It's important when things are going great and we're tempted to rely on ourselves and it's important when things are tough and we're tempted to give up hope. Calling to mind God's character and his promises are something we can do on our own in our daily Bible study and our daily prayers. And the scriptures you there for a great gift to us for that reason. But calling to mind God's character and promises is also something that seems to me we can do corporately as well. Indeed, I found when I was on sabbatical and not in daily fellowship with other Christians outside my family, 
that times of corporate worship were especially precious in helping me remember who God is and what his promises were. I remember going to church in Bosham near Chichester the weekend after all the uncertainty of the Brexit vote. And just standing there singing familiar hymns and gathering around the Lord's table. And just being able to remember in a way that I'd struggled to do so far. Just the goodness, the faithfulness, the mercy of God and his promise that had stood the test of time. So I wonder what it is that helps you actually bring to the front of your mind God's character and promises. What is it that helps you remember? It may be writing out a verse where you can see it every day. It may be having a cross that you can hold or wear. It may be listening to a worship album or singing a favorite hymn while washing up. It may be chatting or praying with a friend from your small group or a prayer partner. It may be just making sure that Sunday by Sunday you come and are reminded in word, worship, and sacrament of the God on whom you can depend. You see, our aim is not to have a perfect faith, airbrushed of all perfections and bumps simply to impress others. Our aim is to have a real faith, where it's not about us and how confident we're feeling, but a humble dependence on God, on whom we rely for guidance, for forgiveness, and simply holding us each day. A God who has not hidden himself, but come close to us and shown us who he is in Jesus Christ. That's the song that David sang. That's the song Jesus sang as he trusted his ways to his heavenly father, walking the way of the cross and yet being raised gloriously from the dead. And that's the song we can sing too. We can sing it when the going is easy and we're tempted to trust in ourselves and go our own way. Then it will remind us to lift up our souls to the Lord and seek his way. We can sing it when the going is tough and we feel burdened by our own brokenness then it will remind us that God can keep us and hold us and forgive us. And we can sing it when God feels a distant partner, perhaps in the middle of the night, and it remind us of the character and promises of God, which we know all the more in Jesus Christ. Faith as dependence. Faith as remembrance. Faith is putting our hand into God's. But it's also looking up to the God we're holding on to. David does both things. He holds and he looks. The invitation for us is to do the same, to do likewise. And when we do, to see our crucified, risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ on whom we can depend for this life and the next. Let me pray.